Hi, I'm Guy. I have quadriplegic cerebral palsy, and Johnny is one of my carers. Please, help me and sign up to bitrom.com slash my Star Wars life debt, so he can stop talking about Star Wars to me. It would mean a lot to me. Thank you. I'm your host, John Yorm. And before we get started, I just want to say, um, sorry, I've not had an episode out for the last three weeks. Uh, life really got in the way. Um, so, like, the first week, I think, uh, my headphones died. And I used my headphones to record as well, so they died. And I didn't really want to use a phone to record. So, there was technical issues, <clears throat> and then, and didn't get any new headphones until after two weeks, so probably beginning of the third week. And then last week, uh, I got these new headphones, and I'm about to record, and then I had a really shocking couple of days at work, in which I didn't be taking a bit of time off. Um, so completely not in the recording headspace but i'm back so this episode is think of think giant size x-men um this is the giant size life that podcast so uh basically this is going to be catching up on uh the last three weeks of blog post and we're going to take a look at the Ahsoka trailer as well um because damn, that was some pretty pretty trailerage. But before we dive right in there, you can email me at lifedebtpodcast.outlook.com. You can find the blog uh, Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash life debt blog pod. Follow me on Twitter at uh, at bloody on b l o o d y o r n e you can find me on instagram instagram.com forward slash my star wars life debt and what's that new one ah uh, yes uh threads is uh the new thing isn't it and you can find me on threads and i cannot for the life of me remember the link and uh, that's it my spells life debt at threads.net or yes at my spells life debt at threads.net so basically just head on over to threads and search for my spells life debt um and of course if you are so inclined and you like what you hear um or like what you read you can uh contribute to the blog and podcast or by donating so you can sign up 
to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash my styles like that where you can sign up to the one and only tier, the grabber cast tier, uh, which is three pounds a month. Or if you want to do a one off donation, um, you can head over to coffee.com forward slash my styles like that. That is ko-fi.com forward slash my styles like that. Um, so yeah, there we go. There's the business. So let's dive into the show because we've got a lot of uh, got a lot of uh, ground to cover this week. So kicking us off, we have got the High Republic Cataclysm by Lydia Tan Review. So as the High Republic faces nears its conclusion. Cataclysm by Lydia Kang brings a full-blown war to the planet Dalna as the Jedi and members of the Path of the Open Hand clash after the past actions that resulted in the Battle of Jeddah and further disrupting the peace negotiations between Iram and Erano. As the direct sequel to Zoraida Cordova's Convergence and following on from the Battle of Jeddah, Lydia Kang gives us a wonderful conclusion to the stories of Delanatai, Ansel Greylock, Bantuzen, and Jiri Albaran. Like Phase 1's The Rising Storm by Kevin Scott, Kang really takes her time moving the story along in a slow build, with tension mounting everywhere until the explosive final act. And also, like Kevin Scott, Lydia Kang gave us a bloodbath. Kang perfectly picks up where Zoraida Cordova left off in Convergence, and with the opening of the book taking place during the events of the Battle of Jeddah. Of course, some time has passed, and we find that uh, Ziri and Fontu are both working on their homeworlds, attempting to maintain the brittle peace, but the actions of the Mother, who lays a trap to reignite the war between the two planets, sets off a chain of events that leads to the battle on Dalna. Cataclysm also follows um, a whole host of characters returning from both Convergence and Battle of Jeddah, as well as a pair of familiar, short-bigged green Jedi Masters, with Cretan's son and Ada Forte heading to Dharma to investigate the involvement of the Path of the Open Hand. During the Battle of da- uh, Jeddah, Master Charil Roy and Padmon Amy King head to Dharma after learning of the involvement of the Path of the Open Hand that led to hostilities uh, resuming between Hiram and Erano. And Master Yaddle, who has a feeling that her presence is required on Dharma, along with the youngling Dipataka, she, who she was escorting to Coruscant. And finally, Yoda escorts the former Chancellor Keong Greylock to Dharma after Atsul requests that she come and help save his life in a plot to lure her into a trap set by the mother which is foiled when Keong resigns from the Chancellor position. Lydia Kang wonderfully adds to the characters that were established in Convergence, none more so than Chancellor Keong Greylock, who even at the start of the book is dealing with a number of stressful situations, including the incarceration of her son Axel after he orchestrated the near destruction of Erasmus. Cataclysm really pushes Keon into a spotlight and further develops the character to be much more than the no-nonsense leader that we saw in Convergence, which did have more focus on the other Chancellor, Molo. Here, Molo takes a backseat, giving Keon the much-deserved spotlight 
as we watch the growth of her character through the book until we, and Axel, see a completely different side to her. Speaking of Axel, Kang writes him so perfectly. The wannabe rogue rebelling against his mother by allying himself with what essentially becomes a terrorist group after he believes befriending a member of the pack called Binner, who manipulates and coerces Axel to operate against his own mother in service of the mother, who uses him to draw Kyung out. But the path turned on Axel when his mother thwarts their plans to kidnap and ransom one of the chancellors. The sheer number of Jedi arriving for the Battle of Dana feels like the final act of Attack of the Clones, especially with Yoda arriving in the nick of time. However, this is not good news for the Jedi, as the Mother has amassed quite a few of the nameless creatures, also called the Leveler by the Mother, uh, which hunt and kill for sensitive beings, seemingly feeding off of their connection to the Force and leaving the bodies as an ashen husk. These creatures, first seen in the Rising Storm, are absolutely terrifying. Their design feels like something out of an HP Lovecraft book, and their effects on Force sensitivity utterly devastating, causing visions of pain and death before they eventually kill you. Cataclysm is an amazing novel. It ties up the events started in Convergence so brilliantly, and Lydia Kang perfectly manages to write the characters that we have grown fond of over fond of over last eight months. And of course some will fall to the path of the closed fist, a splinter group of the path of the open hand, led by Binot, until he dies. Of course. And acting as a militia, it's not quite clear as to the involvement of the mother, but given that there's one more book for me to listen to, Kevin Scott's Path of Vengeance, I'm sure my questions will be answered. So we're gonna there's there's the first part. Let's dive into the next, uh, the next section. Coming up second, we've got a trip to the collection corner with Lego Ogre One Kenobi versus Darth Vader review. Can you take? Can you believe that it took me six months to complete this set? Um, my daughter and I started building it together. Um, just after Christmas, when well, so when I got it, um, and after getting about two thirds of through it, her interest has waned. So I took it upon myself to finish it off. Uh, the box contains three numbered bags and the instruction manual, and it is one of those rare sets that doesn't actually require stickers. <clears throat> the three-part build starts obviously with the base and build up around a framework of flat pieces. The second bag gives us some of the detail, as well as the main play feature, the line of fire that pops up when half the base slides apart. And the third bag adds a considerable amount of play features and details, with transparent or orange wedges made to be the fire, which Vader drags Obi-Wan through during the on-screen battle that the set is based on. A cart, Full of the fire pieces can flip over at the push of the switch on the side. The final play feature is the two rotating plates that allow Vader and Kenobi minifigs to battle, which is a common feature on the Duel of series of sets. The set comes with four minifigs, all unique to the set. Vader has a new printing, included printing including printed details and arms, 
Obi-Wan features the exiled Jedi in his outfit from the third episode of the series. Um, Carla Duras comes with a regular Imperial officer body, but a new printed head. And for me, this is the most disappointing minifig. There are two reasons we know it's Carla. First, it says so on the box. Second is the fact that she's the only person wearing an Imperial officer uniform in this scene. And the final minifig is the silent droid Ned B, with a custom-molded torso and head over a regular body. He also comes with a buildable hammer, which the droid uses in the series. Obi-Wan Kenobi vs. Darth Vader is essentially an extra-large jewel of set, and twice the price. At 408 pieces, at the price of 49, $44.99, the set doesn't feel like you get a lot of bang for your buck. It feels overlarge with the amount of layers that, and the little it feels overlarge with the amount of layers that the middle mechanism requires for the main blade feature. And there seems to be a lot of wasted space. I feel that the set could have been condensed a little and lower the price, which I think is that bit high just because of the Ned B mold, as the rest of is the pieces. The rest of the pieces are pretty standard. Uh, my honest opinion is that it is decent, but wait for it to go on sale to avoid a spark of buyer's remorse. However, the build experience is good, and having been able to enjoy most of the building of it with my daughter, the set holds a special place for me, and it's a pretty good display piece, but I may add a few stormtroopers just to bulk it out on the shelf. Okay, that's week one uh, done. Uh, so we'll uh, take a quick uh, break and jump in to the second week that I missed. Again, sorry about that. So we're heading into the Legends timeline with the New Jedi Order Dark Journey by Elaine Cunningham Review. Following on directly from Star by Star, Dark Journey focuses on Jaina Solo in the aftermath of the mission to Merkith, and the loss of her, both of her brothers, Jason and Anakin Solo. After escaping the Uzumbong forces at Merkith in a stolen enemy ship, the Merkith survivors arrive in the middle of the Battle of Coruscant, where, after some quick thinking and some hotshot piloting, Han recognises his daughter and alerts the New Republic ships of her identity before she is shot down. After fleeing Coruscant, Jaina, on the advice of Tenelka, takes the survivors to the Hapes Cluster, following, followed by the Coruscant refugees, who have received an invitation by Tenennial Joe, the Hapen Queen Mother. Once on Hapes, the former Queen Mother, Tune, is pushing for her son, Princess Alda, to find a new bride who will be a stronger leader, as Tenennial Joe is, has hidden away after the loss of the Hapen fleet in Agents of Chaos Jedi Eclipse, and the miscarriage of hers and Isolde's unborn child. Tatum has her eyes set on Jaina to take Tenennial Joe's place to rule the Hapes Consortium. Meanwhile, Jaina and Lobaka work on the stolen Von ship, figuring out how to use the villas. She contacts Savon La and his son, telling them she has renamed the ship Trickster in, in an effort to rile them up using a figure from their religion. 
and associating herself with the deity. Work on the ship and her growing closeness with the tomb leads Jaina to develop a new technology to block and trick the bomb forces, eventually leading to a battle between Hape's new fleet that was commissioned by Tenennial Joe, who is later found dead by poison. Tenelkar takes her mother's place as the Queen Mother, much to Tatoon's chagrin, after Jaina rebukes the offer for her to marry his soldier. Throughout all of this, Jaina is slipping towards the dark side. She decides to take Kit Duron upon his offer to be his apprentice, only to use and manipulate him, and she starts to develop a relationship with the Chiss commander, Jack Fell. However, by the end, she realises the path that she is on, and chooses to return to Eclipse to be with her parents and the rest of the Jedi station there. Having Jaina Solo take centre stage and have a whole novel dedicated to her during the aftermath of Star by Star is a work of pure genius by the folks behind the scenes on the New Jedi Order. While she has been a key player throughout the whole series and has had a number of standout moments, Dark Jenny really gets into her head, allowing us to fully understand her gradual but brief turn to the dark side. What Elaine Cunningham does so brilliantly in this novel is show a softer side to Kit Durong, who works closely with Jaina despite her misgivings after he manipulated her earlier on in the war. Having him soften really helps the character develop, and he uses his knowledge of the dark side to help Jaina as much as possible. Even though her turn to the dark side is paved with good intentions, it's a distraction from her grief, focusing on her anger and hate towards the Vong, and to find a way to aid the war against them. We get some time with Han and Leia as well. Whilst we did spend some time with them after Anakin was killed in the previous book, we really get to see how they have come closer together rather than pushing away like Han did after Chewie's death. And through their grief, Cunningham manages to get some of their more well-known character traits through in some really great moments. Whilst the Vong are always a threat, the real villain of this book is the former Queen Mother of Apes, Tachyun who spends most of the book trying to lure Jaina into the fold, and the other half plotting to get rid of her daughter-in-law. Without a doubt, she's a real nasty piece of work, but an amazing character. Dark Journey had a really hard job in following Star by Star, but Cunningham really gives us a great follow-up, and she doesn't hang back or pull punches, but at the same time allows us a moment to breathe and regroup whilst driving the series forward. Okay, so let's jump into the next part, uh, which is my uh, list of top five canon novels. So I'll be right back. Hey there, everyone. Before we get into the show, I just want to shamelessly self-promote coffee.com forward slash my Star Wars Life Debt. Uh, you can join up as a member, you can do a one-off donation, or you can pick up some of our digital stuff on the merch store, which is right there on coffee.com forward slash mindstarwarslifedebt. So, please head on over there, check it out if you want to support the show and the podcast. Thank you very much, guys. Now, let's get on with the show. So, here we go. My top five Star Wars books canon. Uh, to point out, point this out very quickly. Um, when I wrote this, I hadn't yet listened to um, Princess and the Scandal and or, or, or um, 
the the uh, Jedi Jedi Fallen Order novel Battle Scars. I haven't yet listened to that one either. I have listened to um, Princess and the Scoundrel by Beth Revis, and it is fantastic. But I'm going to be doing a review on that uh, coming up soon, uh, probably this week or next. So those are out of the, those are not um, part of the list, and I've well. And this is also not focusing. I've not really focused on the YA stuff. This is this is all just like uh, the the Del Rey stuff. But I'll I'll get into that in a second. Here is my top five Star Wars books from canon. In this post, I will be taking a look at my five favorite canon novels. Having read the majority of them, I hope they cover a, a right. A, I hope they cover a wide range. I'll be avoiding any series, e.g. The High Republic, that goes out of the wayside, I'm sorry, and trilogies, uh, e.g. The Aftermath Trilogy and Alphabet Squadron Trilogy. So first up, I've got A New Dawn by John Jackson Miller, and it was the novel that launched the new canon line of books. A prequel to the animated series Star Wars Rebels, it introduces us to two of the ghost crew, Kanan Jarrus and Harrison Dula. And it details their first meeting and the first time they actually worked together fighting the Empire. It was the first book I ever reviewed for the blog, uh, which you can read on the blog. Um, and that was the third time I'd read it. Um, so you, you can see that why this is top of my list. I've read it at least three times. Um, and it served a great, as a great introduction for me to Rebels, as I'd only seen the uh, two-part series premiere Spark of Rebellion at the time that I had. Read it. Next up was Claudia Gray's second Star Wars novel, Bloodline, and it's definitely a key read. Telling the story of how Leia Organa Solo is ousted from the New Republic after the knowledge that Darth Vader was her father is made public. Whilst it gives us a look at the inner workings of the New Republic, Bloodline also shows us one of the lowest points in Leia's life. With Han away racing ships across the galaxy and Ben off training with Luke, Leia relies on a new group of characters, as well as Corsella, who we were, who we briefly see in The Force Awakens. And she starts to develop a close friendship with a member of the opposing political party, Ransom Castify, as the two have to work together on a fact-finding mission. This one I've read twice, the second time was to write a review, which can also be found on the blog. Third up, Queen Lone Boss and Asajj Ventress take centre stage in the adaptation of two unused story arcs from the Clone Wars, written by Katie Lucas, which would have been included in later seasons had it not been cancelled by Disney after acquisition. And this book is Dive Disciple by Christy Golden. Christy Golden really gets the tone of the Clone Wars series and makes the novel feel like a continuation of the series rather than just an adaptation of the script. The two leads, Quinlan Vos and Asajj Ventress, are so well written, and their story is so tragic that it absolutely, it's absolutely gutting that these episodes were never made. However, the fact that we got a book is a consolation because the story is fantastic, and can also, and the review can be read on the blog. So here's where I went wrong, and I divert, I divert, my path diverted. And I ended up reviewing a book from a series. Um, 
and it's Kevin Scott's The Rising Storm from The High Republic. Kevin Scott's The Rising Storm is by far the pinnacle of The High Republic. It's the second adult novel in the first phase, and we really get to see the true extent of the lengths that the Nile will go to to vanquish the Jedi Order. Set during a festival, trying to draw outer rim planets into the Republic, the celebration soon becomes a war zone as the space pirates clash with the Jedi before luring them into a trap where their secret weapon, the Nameless, is unleashed, killing one of the main Jedi characters as Martian Ro escapes, and there is a review on the blog. Go read. And my final addition to the list is the most recent, and the review can be heard a couple of episodes ago, uh, and it's Adam Christopher's novel, uh, Shadow of the Sith. Uh, and it's set between the original sequel trilogies and ends up doing a lot of heavy lifting in terms of backstory for the rise of Skywalker. And the book does it absolutely brilliantly, giving us a look at Luke and his Jedi Academy, Lando in the years after his daughter's kidnapping, Ray's parents on the run from the Sith, and Ochi of Bestoon, who is hunting them. It's not often that a book becomes essential for the films, but Shadow of the Sith truly elevates the final chapter of the Skywalker saga and would have done well being released closer to the film's release. However, I do think that the book was a reaction to the backlash of the film. So there we go, those are my five, my top five canon novels. Um, and I'm instantly uh, kind of thinking about other ones and what I would, what I could switch out and stuff. So. You never know, there could be an updated version in the future. So, jump into last week's stuff, because that was that's week two, so we're jumping into last week's. We're catching up, guys, we're catching up. And I'll be right back in just a second. Okay, here we go. Mandoverse Rewatch, part four, The Mandalorian, season three. In the run-up to The Mandalorian Season 3, I attempted to a rewatch of both seasons of The Mandalorian, as well as the Book of Boba Fett. I ended up having life getting in the way, and my attempt was unsuccessful. However, I have continued the rewatch, and I've decided to put some of my thoughts down on digital paper, especially in the run-up to Ahsoka. So with Season 3 aired, any time anyone asked what I thought, I would respond with, I like it. It's different. Different how? And I couldn't put my finger on it. Now, for a couple of episodes, I managed to partially figure it out. It was a touch of my perceptions of what season three would be, and that slippery slope that can derail your enjoyment of a thing, and the cause of so many how such and such should have happened posts and videos. The irony is that the season did quite a lot of what I expected, just not how I expected it. And it did it in a way that I very much enjoyed, even more on my rewatch. I fully expected Din's quest to find the living waters uh, to be going, it was going to be the through line of the season, with him joining Bo Katan and her growing group of Mandalorians, and eventually coming to realize that he doesn't need to live by the rules set by the children of the Watch. Something else I realized as the season aired was. But given the fact that season three ended up having to do a lot of heavy lifting for uh, the Mandoverse as one of the three spin-off 
Diaries, Rangers in the Republic, was very quietly cancelled after Gina Carano did our whole Twitter thing. And when asked about it, Kathleen Kennedy said that aspects of the series were going to make their way into The Mandalorian. This could explain why Bo-Katan became much more prominent, with episodes that also focused heavily on other characters altogether, with Dr. Pershing and Elias Kane having almost a whole episode, and Kane showing a couple more times. And then we've got Carson Tavers' side quest in a bid to help Greek Carter fight off Gorian Shard's pirates before finding out about Moff Gideon's escape. It's entirely possible that these were major plot points for Rangers of the New Republic. In fact, it's heavily in the larger story of the New Republic era that is leading to Dave Filoni's upcoming feature film. And the ongoing time frame to tell all of the relevant stories is getting shorter. With Ahsoka coming out in just over a month and the introduction of the Shadow Council at the end of the season meant that season 3 needed some alterations in the writing phase. Which is probably why Favreau has already finished season 4. So had to get it all together to make sure everything lines up as the all as all of the connected threads start to weave together. The season, whilst at times feeling disjointed, did tell a really great story. It lets us see more of the Mandalorian culture through the different clans. And we get some of the history and mythology and learn more about how a family moves up in the ranks. And we also, thanks to Gorian Shard's invasion of, Navar of Navarro, get to see a small army of Mandalorians working as a fighting force to be reckoned with. It also defied expectations. The Darksaber, the symbol of the leader of Mandalore that must be won in battle, was a hot topic, and how it would return to Bo-Katan. We all expected a fight between Bo-Katan and Din Djarin, and as they got closer, the prospect of the ultimate battle between the two seemed like it could be devastating. However, the way it was handled on nothing more than a technicality was wonderfully subversive. But finally getting some answers that we wanted since season one also indicates that the overall story of the Mandalorian is shifting. We now know how Grogu was saved during Order 66, with the best cameo of the season, the return of Armored Best as Kellen Beck, and why Moff Gideon was so desperate to get his hands on Grogu, and the results of Dr. Pershing's research. And whilst I doubt Gideon is actually dead, and that it was actually one of his clones, I think that he won't be returning to the Mandoverse for a while, possibly not until the threat of Thrawn has subsided. Whilst a lot of this is speculation, it is safe to say that the quality of season 3 had gone down. However, it was still a great and fun season. Oh, we're coming into the last one. Well, that was second to last. We're still going to do the Ahsoka trailer. I'll be back in a second. So here we go with Poe Dameron, Volume 5, The Spark and the Fire comic review. The fifth and final volume of the Poe Cam po Cameron? Po Dameron comic series feels like a bit of a letdown at times. Half of it is just a retelling of events from The Force Awakens from different perspectives, which, which for me, which, which for me, feels like a waste of Charles Saul's considerable talent. The framing device is set in the aftermath of the Battle of Crate on the Millennium Falcon. 
as Ray, Finn and Poe update each other on events from the previous two films. We learn how Poe escaped from Jakku. However, this is adapted from Alan Dean Foster's novelization of The Force Awakens. And we also get BBA's perspective of the Battle of Starkiller Base. But the real new content is the story of what the rest of Black Squadron were doing during The Last Jedi, um, where, the, where they were given the task of rallying potential allies through the resistance for Leia. Their journey leads them to intervene unwittingly in stopping a leader's political rival from attempting to run against him. And then when the team arrive uh, to find the First Order attacking some more potential recruits, uh, they take the fight to the enemy, landing on the planet and joining the fight, which almost ends in disaster. However, the arrival of Poe Dameron, after convincing Leia to let him help his teammates, leads to a resistance victory and some new allies. I've always loved the art in this series, and this volume keeps up that trend. Even the change in style for the backup story in the Poe Dameron Annual 2, featuring Han and Chewie, who unwittingly helped Poe when they realised that the information they were trying to steal would be worth more to Leia, allowing Poe and Black Squadron to complete their mission, which seems more animated, but really fits the story well, which was written by Jodie Hauser who also wrote the TIE Fighter miniseries, which I have yet to read, and it's a tie into Alphabet Squadron, and I love Alphabet Squadron. Speaking of the story, when it's not retreading our ground, the story really works well. I love seeing the rest of Black Squadron taking centre stage in their story. Uh, the rest, however, was definite filler, but did manage to include a subtle reference to Star Wars Resistance. However, as the first canonical story set after The Last Jedi, and we get to see the start of the bond between Rey, Finn and Poe as they talk on the Millennium Falcon. It's a slightly disappointing end to a decent series, and for me the series could have ended with the last volume when Poe tracked down Lord Santeca, which was the whole basis of the series. And maybe use the second annual to fill in some of the gaps with Black Squadron, so have that story be told in the second annual. Um, however, the positives outweigh of the book outweigh the negatives, because who doesn't need more Snap, snap Wexley in their life? So there we go. We are now up to date on uh, the blog post. So in one second, I'm just going to go and rewatch the Ahsoka trailer quickly, and then I'm going to talk about it. And we've got a wonderful uh, voicemail from the always amazing. Anthony, aka a rural farm boy. So, play back in just a second. Hard oh, damn. The Ahsoka trailer looks amazing. Um, like from the beginning, we've got Balin and Shin taking on the um, the New Republic freight frigate, um, making their way basically just decimating the New Republic um, soldiers. Um, then the hero in the New Republic, so we see the, seeing the New Republic fleet is pretty damn cool. Um, Hera and Mary Elizabeth Winstead looks great as Hera. Um, and Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka, again, looks fantastic. Um, you know, seeing seeing the new public, you see like this, uh, see my Mothma and a bunch of um, senators. Um, 
you kind of get the feeling that the New Republic is not doing so great. Um, I think probably they are hoping that everything's okay more than knowing everything's okay. Um, and Hera's talking about, you know, how she went to war. She was, you know, she grew up in a war. You know, her whole life she's been fighting a war, and then she's trying to prevent another one. So it's obvious that people are talking. There are rumors, and the New Republic uh, command are not paying attention and not listening. So it kind of ties into a lot of what's being said about the New Republic. And I'm wondering if by the end of the Mandoverse, by probably by the end of um what's it called? By the end of by the end of Dave Filoni's film, uh, we will see a change in New Republic structure. Because we know by the time Force Awakens happened that Mon Mothma is not Chancellor. Now, of course, that is quite a chunk of time for Return of the Jedi 2 Force Awakens, but I've got a feeling that it's quite possible that Mon Mothma's time being the leader of the New Republic will be coming to it, will come to an end by the end of Dave Filoni's film. Um, so I think that could be quite interesting to see kind of her fall from grace um, and maybe see a new kind of New Republic rise from the ashes of Thrawn's return. Um, we get to see, uh, we, we find out that from the, you know, the, those parts in the previous trailer from Celebration, which looked like the world between worlds was not the world between worlds. It's actually a star map that is um, generated through some sort of magic. I'm guessing from Morgan Elspeth. There's been a lot of rumors that she might be a, um, uh, a force user who uses magic or uses like kind of the magical, mystical side of the force, uh, much like the Night Sisters in the Clone Wars. So. You see a green flame at the bottom of the screen, so that kind of feels like weird kind of force magic. So that'd be cool, um, and that's going to be the star map. I'm guessing that will help lead them to Thrawn, um, and of course Ezra. Um, what else? I mean, then of course we see Thrawn, Lars Mikkelsen as Thrawn. Looks fantastic. Um, and there's someone, helmet helmet in the background that could be, uh, well, is most likely someone who works with Thrawn. Um, so that's quite cool. And of course, we do also see the, the, the same shot from the shot from, of Thrawn from behind that was in the first trailer. And of course, there was a, there was a shot in that first trailer with Morgan Elsbeth in that room as well, just the different lighting. And I think that's going to be, I mean, there was some speculation that could be Mount Tantis, uh, but I think that's can probably going to be some sort of, that's going to be some sort of ship that they are both on at some point in the series. Um, and then we get like a whole bunch of stuff with Sabine. 
and Sabine looks so cool. Uh, we see Sabine in like kind of more relaxed, uh, long hair, just chilling on on Lothal, speeder biking down the road, uh, racing an E-wing, and that's cool to see seeing an E-wing in um in Canon. Um, and then, then you see her like in Mandalorian outfit, um, in her Mandalorian armor and cutting her hair in a in a, in a shot that is so reminiscent of Kanan when he cuts his hair at the end of in in season four of Rebels. You know, there's there's the there's definitely kind of like that connection, which I think is fantastic. Um, and then. Oh god, what else was that? So much stuff. Uh, Ahsoka and Sabine kind of speak, doing a lot of talking and Sabine dropping the master. And I don't, I, yeah, everyone's like, oh, she's force sensitive. No, she's not force sensitive, but it's probably, Ahsoka has probably trained her in lightsaber combat. But I don't see her being force sensitive because that would, you know, just have that kind of come out of the blue. Would be a bit strange, um, but we get to see that there's some sort of strained relationship between her, between Sabine and Ahsoka as well, and that could be some pretty interesting stuff. Of course, we get to see some like the live action version of some Rebel stuff, which is just looks great. Um, I love the uh, the mural, the live action version of the mural looks looks fantastic. Uh, we see Sabine fighting Shin, the the apprentice for Balin uh with with a lightsaber and we see it it's happening in two different time periods. So we've got long haired Sabine and short haired Sabine fighting Shin. Um we see Pergil. We finally see a like a full on Pergil, which looks so badass. Um I think we're gonna see uh Sabine infiltrating some sort of uh, Imperial facility. She's at one, a couple of points in the trailer. She's wearing a grey uniform. It's very imperial. She's been known to do that. Um, and it looks like they're kind of being chased by someone, but also near the pergil. So it's like, so we could be seeing like uh, an infiltration and then escape. Um, Bunch of stuff with the ghost, bunch of stuff with Phantom 2, bunch of stuff with uh, Ahsoka's Republic ship. We get um, Huyang, the, the uh, lightsaber building droid as well. A couple more lines from him. Just overall, the whole trailer is, is amazing. Um, and, you know, it's one of those trailers that you doesn't, you're not able to kind of piece together the story. Um, So it kind of leaves a lot to the imagination, and that's that's making me even more excited about the series. Um, because yeah, we know that they're going to look for Ezra and they're going to look for Thrawn, and we know that they're probably going to find Ezra and Thrawn. Um, but you know, it just it, the story doesn't feel like. The whole story, the story of the whole series, doesn't feel like it's being told in this trailer. It doesn't feel like we're getting 
all of the information it feels like we're just getting tiny little morsels uh, and just making me so excited for it so i'm very much looking forward to it um so i put out a call for some emails uh, and i got one from everyone's favorite uh podcast listener and now podcast host um anthony aka raw fanboy my space big brother uh so i'm gonna play his email now um but i'm gonna warn you there are spoilers uh anthony likes his spoilers he he listens to like kind of stuff like making star wars so there are bits of that mentioned here uh so if you're not wanting to hear spoilers then i wholly suggest that you skip maybe give me a sec okay uh that we skip ahead sorry i'm trying to use my phone and i broke my phone the other day so it's a little tough <laughs> hey i've got it working uh so yeah i highly recommend we you if you don't want um don't want um spoilers then skip uh, a minute and 50 seconds uh so skip now howdy johnny darth b your big brother just sat here after the sixth or seventh time watching that Ahsoka trailer, and wow. <laughs> Star Wars being Star Wars. Um, some things come to mind that if you ain't familiar with, because I'm pretty sure you know, I follow spoilers. And I don't share them, lest I'm asked. So I've already heard how season one is going to turn up and I'm not going to speak to that but things we do know is that out of this eight episodes season is that the first four is going to take place right around Mandalorian season two time and then the last four are going to take place in Mando season three timeline uh, also know that Morgan Elizabeth is a night sister. Um, let's see what else do we got. It's gonna, it was very interesting too, hearing Sabine make a mention of calling Ahsoka master. And I don't think that we knew that they had parted ways because the last we seen them was they were getting together to go to try and find Ezra, where he is in a new part of the galaxy we ain't been introduced to yet. It ain't wild space, and it ain't the unknown regions. This here is called the New Beyond, and that's where Thrawn and Ezra both are. They are separate. They're not together. So now it's a matter of who's going to find who first. So can Sabine get together to go to find Ezra? Do they find him first? 
or does Morgan, because she's hunting for Thrawn, does she find him first? This can be interesting to see how this plays out. So that's my thoughts on Ahsoka trailer. And looking forward to hearing what you think. And then Saturday, I'm getting together with my buddy over in the western side of Pennsylvania, Jeff Fishbach, that does the Blue Milk Cafe. I am now his co-host. So if you want to hear my thoughts, look up the Blue Milk Cafe podcast. We've been doing them, let's see, this will be my fourth week. Yeah, fourth week. And we're spinning Star Wars tales over there. So, let's see what you have to say and your thoughts about Ahsoka. And looking forward to listening to him, little brother. Love you. May the force be with you. GR Radio. Thank you, big brother, for the email. And spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. I'm not going to get spoilers because I've not really been reading up on the Ahsoka spoilers. I've kind of. I don't know if it's a case of I'm avoiding it or or what. I've just not actively sought it out. Um, and my my podcast listening time has severely reduced, so I've not really been able to keep up much with kind of making Star Wars and any podcasts really. Um, so, uh, but I have dived in a little bit, so I knew some of what you were saying, um, but not all of it. So I've kind of you know probably jump in and have a go back in time a little bit on the making star wars threads and um catch up a little bit because i'm not opposed to spoilers but um you know i'm not actively seeking them out at the minute but that being said um thank you for getting in touch it's so much stuff in in this trailer that just makes you go what um and it's just, you know, like i said like i said uh earlier um i'm just so excited for it um but uh i said my bits you said your bits so before i go i'm gonna say everyone go listen to my big brother uh blue milk cafe head over there Anthony is just a great Star Wars conversationist, so go listen to what he, him, what they have to say over at Blue Milk Cafe. And once you've done that, head on over to mystarswifehead.com, uh, where you can read the blog. You can email me at lifehatpodcast at outwork.com. So send me voicemails, send me emails, send me thoughts, send me um, nice things. <laughs> Uh, you can also find me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash life that blog pod. Follow me on Twitter at bloodyorm, B-L-O-O-D-Y-O-R-M-E. And Instagram.com forward slash my styles life debt. Um, my styles life debt at threads.com. I think that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> um, and if you would like to contribute to the upkeep of the blog, and podcast you can do so in two ways you can go to two different places you can sign up and become a member of the patreon um, patreon.com forward slash my star wars life debt um and that's where you can get ad free podcast episodes ad free blog posts um 
you get bonus content. So all the bonus content that I will that I put out that I will upload when it comes out, you will get. Um, it, it basically it comes as part of the membership, uh, as opposed to being paid for. Um, and get your name on the sports page. Get a shout out on the podcast. Um, and you get so yeah, you got the bonus content. So that includes the life the holiday special, like in Breaking the Fan, and all of the two full seasons of Yub Nubbin, a Life Day podcast, where I reviewed the Ewoks cartoon series. Um, so yes, that's over at patreon.com forward slash my Star Wars Life Day. But if you don't want to become a member, but you want to donate anyway, um, you can head over to coffee.com forward slash my styles life day that's ko-fi.com forward slash my styles life day and there you can make a donation a one-time donation if you want to sign up you can do a monthly donation um and you can visit the web store that is where the my styles life day web store is um and you can get the bone you can buy the bonus content so if you don't want to sign the patreon but you want to Pick up a couple of bonus stuff. You can pick up the Life Day Holiday Special, like the Breaking of a Fan, and Yub Nubbin, a Life Day Podcast Series 1, currently, over there. Uh, and that's coffee.com forward slash my Star Wars Life Day. And I do believe that is it. I will be back again later this week with this week's actual podcast episode. Um, of course, this is the uh, giant size X-Men life debt podcast so um it's a big catch up so there we go oh oh we're gonna save that for next week save that for the proper episode this week so thank you for listening i hope you've enjoyed the show um and go listen to blue thought cafe and punch it chewy Bye.